right, well, if you were with us last week, you will remember that we welcomed Dean to the stage to team teach with me for the first time. And uh, if you weren't with us, let me just tell you what's happening around here. Uh, one of our values is in apprenticing up-and-coming leaders, and uh, Dean has agreed reluctantly at first. Uh, <laughs> I said, no way. <laughs> to be a, a part of our teaching team. And so this is his second, second Sunday teaching with me, and I'm just really excited to have him on my team. And uh, we're talking about choice for this uh, part of our message series. We've been talking through the book of Romans since last September. And uh, right now we're in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And uh, we've titled this message series, Choice, and we've been talking about God's choice, we've talked about Israel's choice, and today we're talking about your choice, my choice, the choice that is set before us. And uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about choices lately. Uh, there's, there's so many choices that we make every single day, and whether you're aware of it or not, you, you and I make choices. Last night, I made the choice to uh, video my wife dancing in the car to, uh, to, to a song we were listening to, and some of you have made me aware that my choice was illegal since we were uh, driving in the car, but... You know, well, at least it's not ring my bell. I mean, <laughs> we we chose it was a, a ring your bell, right? Yeah. We chose a better song this time. <laughs> yeah. And and I I think I have been rebuked by enough of you to where we'll stop that behavior. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boo! Oh, you like the videos? All right. Well, maybe we'll keep them coming. I I don't want to be involved in some sort of a rollover, so we should probably stop. Uh, but we all make choices every day. What am I going to eat? That's been one of the big choices I've shared with you that Chris and I are on Weight Watchers. And one of the things we love about Weight Watchers is uh, we can choose just regular food. And if we make good choices, uh, we can have a, a, a piece of dessert. Um, last night, I had enough points in my day to have a piece of rhubarb pie, which was awesome. Um, and, and we just, we learn to make choices. Sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make poor choices. Some of you are questioning my choice in wardrobe today. Some of you have been asking about my T-shirt, which says, More Cowbell. Uh, some of you don't know what that means. Google it, and then don't judge. We choose a route to drive to work today. How many of you like to go the same way every time you drive to work in the morning? My wife drives the same route. I take the back roads, and uh, I, I like to take an alternate route. Uh, and, and some of those things, you know, those are choices we make every day. They're not, they're not a big deal. But there's other choices that we make that can have really dire consequences, like how am I going to respond to my unreasonable boss today? Am I going to respond in kind or am I going to be generous and merciful and gracious? Or uh, at home, am I going to choose to take the trash out with, without being asked? Or am I going to wait until I am on my wife's very last nerve before I help out around the house? Um, am I going to take the time to get on the floor and play with my kids? You've been challenged a couple of times today, dads. Uh, spend good time with, with your kids, but it's easy to get busy and decide that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play video games or I'm going to watch this TV program and let my kids entertain themselves with my iPad and drive 
uh, everybody crazy while they're sending unsolicited uh, text messages on my <laughs> iPad. Uh, am I going to tell a white lie to cover up that thing that I'm ashamed of? Or am I going to own my mistakes? What, what choice am I going to make? Am I going to click on that link in my email or am I going to pass it by? And, and one of the important choices that we're confronted with quite often is, am I going to respond to that spiritual prompting that I'm feeling inside or am I going to ignore it and just go on with the mundane living? What am I going to do when I have that spiritual prompting? What choice am I going to make? And in this message series, we've talked about lots of different choices. We've talked about how God made the choice to make Israel his chosen people. We've talked about the fact that Israel, as a group, has chosen to reject Jesus as the Messiah. And now today we're going to talk about your choice and my choice and what the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, what he has to say to us about our choices. So here's what I want you to do. If you've got your Bibles with you today, or if you've got an electronic device like I use, uh, my, my friend Dean is a little more old school. He's using paper. I'm using an iPad. Uh, Anybody so, want to donate an iPad? <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say is there, we're, we're, uh, we're equal opportunity around here. So yeah, no kidding. She's paper getting, Bibles are cool. Electronic she's backpacks. Bibles, I want something. Right. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, what I want you to do today is if you'll turn with us to Romans chapter 10 uh, in, in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, Chris has some back there at the Welcome Center, and you're, you're welcome to grab one. Uh, we've also got notes up here on the stage and at the Welcome Center, and I always think taking notes helps me stay focused, and so I, I hope you'll do that. But anyway, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be covering a, a large portion of this chapter today, and we're actually not going to have time to read the whole passage. So I hope that today or tomorrow you'll read through what we talk about today and reflect on the choices that you are being given to make today uh, as we read through Romans chapter 10. So let's start with this. Paul starts uh, in verse 5, which is where we're picking up in Romans 10. He starts there with just laying it out to us that we have a choice. When it comes to how we're going to be saved, Paul lays it out for us one more time. We've been over this concept many times as we've walked through the book of Romans, and he brings it back again to this simple choice. We can choose to try to earn our own salvation by being good enough. That's, that's one path. Or we can choose grace and forgiveness and the free gift of God. And, and Paul lays it out in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. He just lays it out one more time. But this time he's pointing out this very painful reality. If we want to just count on being good enough to get into heaven, then here's the challenge. You have to be so good that you make no mistakes whatsoever. If you're going to try to, if you're going to try to use the karma approach, well, I'm sure that when I get to heaven, God's going to say, well, you were kind of good and you were kind of bad, but the good outweighs the bad. That's kind of the karma idea of, of, of being good enough. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, you know what? You sucked and, uh, and, and you weren't good enough. It doesn't matter how good you are. What Paul is saying is God is so holy and the standard is so high that you literally cannot be good enough 
to, to get into heaven. Or you can go with God's plan, which is, listen, my son died to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus died on the cross for you. And if you simply believe in him, if you put your faith in him, I, I'm going to trade your sin for my son's righteousness. It's going to be an even trade and you get to be declared righteous. It's just that simple. And it's a much better choice. But what he's saying here is that Israel as a group has said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to stick with the earning our own salvation way. And they made that choice. Now he's saying you have a choice too. What are you going to do? And Dean's going to start unpacking the choice of faith for us. Okay, we're going to start out by reading some scripture. And as I go through this, I want you to really think about how important the resurrection is to our Christian faith. So we're going to start out here at Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you openly declare, and some versions say confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith and some virgins, virgins say confessing that you are saved. <clears throat> As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's two parts to this scripture. The first part, and specifically relates to verse 9 here, confess that Jesus is Lord. So I just want you to repeat after me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Good. And that's a pretty easy, easy thing to do, an easy thing to say. But the next part of of Verse 9 there is believe that he has risen from the dead. And that's a little bit harder for us to grasp. Um, how many of you seen somebody that's been raised from the dead? Yeah, I haven't either. I've heard people in Africa being raised from the dead, but I've never witnessed that, and in my lifetime I probably won't. And so, even with the disciples, they even had doubts, even had times where you know, is that really true? Is, what, is what's happening following Jesus and seeing, him, seeing all these miracles, is that really happening? Is that really the Son of God? And there was one particular guy, one particular disciple that Jesus didn't show himself to at first. When they gathered in the upper room, all the disciples were there. Jesus showed up. And they actually had, had a little bit of a, a meal with Jesus. And Jesus was in his heavenly body and I was thinking the other day, hey, I'm going to be able to eat possibly in my heavenly body. body. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be awesome to me. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Thomas was left out. I'm not sure where he was. Uh, maybe he was taking care of his orchids. Who knows? Or Yeah, <laughs> Russ raised his orchids. So maybe he was out fishing. You know, that's a favorite thing of mine. I'm thinking that after that happened, he probably was somewhere thinking alone. You know, all that stuff that happened, the crucifixion. I'm thinking maybe he was so distraught, he just needed to be alone. He needed to be away. And so a week later, you know, and that, let me back up. The disciples 
told Thomas that Jesus was there. And Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas said, well, I'm, just, I'm not going to believe this. That's a bunch of hooey. I'm not going to believe that Jesus was here until I touch him, until I can put my hands in those, in those places, put my finger in those holes in his hands and touch, touch his side. And a week later, Jesus appeared to Thomas. Isn't that awesome? You know, you don't have to suspend your brain or your intellect to believe this. And the reason why I say that is because Jesus appeared to more than just these guys. It was hundreds. It was hundreds of people that he appeared to. And uh, even James, his brother, who, who did not believe in Jesus when they grew up together and they knew each other most of their life, Jesus appeared to James. And James was converted and became a, a follower of, of Jesus and actually wrote the book of James. So there's so much evidence out there. People won't, be, won't believe because they don't want to believe. It's a choice. And that's what we're talking about today. Let's listen to some comments from some historians who examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. It's a great video. I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say, and then all the historical evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I don't know what they saw. But I know that as a historian, they must have seen something. Is there any reason to believe that an extraordinary event like the resurrection actually happened? We might be encouraged to know that since the first Christians made the claim that the resurrection was Jesus' physical body coming to life and leaving an actual, literal tomb, as opposed to simply a spiritual belief that Jesus had come back again as a ghost or was alive in their hearts as a memory, it can be studied in the same way other historical events can be. Like Hannibal's invasion, complete with the elephants, Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo, or the Broncos being crushed by the Seahawks in Super Bowl 48. Historical research is well respected, even though, unlike scientific research, you cannot place historical events under a microscope or contain them to a lab. Historians put reports together from written sources and eyewitnesses or anything else that was known from the time and place of the events to reach reasonable conclusions about what may have actually happened. While many pieces of evidence can be used to point to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, we will focus on three. Number one, the early church exploded on the scene of the ancient world with the claim that Jesus had risen from the dead as their central proclamation. Many movements are gradual in building momentum, and when it comes to larger than life, legendary or miraculous characteristics claimed by these movements about their leaders, those ideas usually take decades and sometimes even centuries to develop. From what we know about Christianity, the claim that Jesus rose again from the dead was made from the very start, serving as this new religion's central idea. A passage that is thought to reflect the very earliest Christian belief, a founding Christian leader writes, I want to remind you of the good news I proclaimed to you. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead. Within a very short time, this movement had taken the ancient world by storm, built on the testimony of those who claimed they had seen Jesus alive after death. There is every indication that they must have seen something. 
The earliest followers of Jesus claimed to be eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection and went to their deaths proclaiming it. Now, we all know people die for their beliefs. That does not make their beliefs true. But one thing it does for all of them, it is a very strong indicator that they believe what they are saying. It's been said, liars make lousy martyrs. The early followers of Jesus claimed first to have seen Jesus die and raise him from the dead. Their deaths are an indication that they certainly believed they had. They must have seen something. Number three, Jesus' resurrection was seen by his earliest followers and friends. But in addition, a very unusual thing happened around the same time. Two men who were self-described skeptics, even enemies of the idea of Jesus' divinity, turned from their skepticism to claim that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. The first was Jesus' own brother James. Historians are confident that we have good information regarding James, and we know he began as a skeptic over Jesus' claims to divinity. From what we know, he appears to have thought Jesus was decidedly not the Son of God, but also that his brother was a little on the kooky side, which, if you have a brother, you may be able to relate to. But somehow, James makes a complete turnaround in his view of Jesus, and the explanation he gives is the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He must have seen something. Then there was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He not only did not believe in Jesus, but when the news about him began to travel, he believed this new movement was a dangerous and destructive idea. He took it upon himself to oppose believers, even violently. He had people killed and put in prison just for believing in the resurrection. Then suddenly, Saul does one of the most amazing 180s in the history of 180s. He goes from sworn enemy of the new faith to one of its most passionate and vocal promoters. What happened? According to him, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He went to his death, never backing off that claim. He must have seen something. Atheist New Testament scholar Jean Louis It must be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. So the question is, for me is, and for you is, would you be willing to die for what you believe? These guys did. Most of them were martyred. There's so much evidence out there. So much evidence. The resurrection of Christ isn't just faith. It's historical fact. Not the same as believing in magic. The resurrection is historical fact. Thomas and many others saw and believed and became an important part in building the early church. So now let's, let's look at the second part of the choice of faith. Just before we move on, you and I were talking last night about uh, how evidence is, is established even in our American court system. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, I just think this helps us even think about this. In our court system, if you have a witness that sees something, uh, it, it is considered strong evidence. If you have two or three, it's considered irrefutable evidence mm-hmm. that right. an event actually took place. Right. And historically, we have hundreds of witnesses that say they saw Jesus alive. We have to take the resurrection of Jesus very seriously. And uh, we can conclude with historical certainty that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. So if you're kind of on the fence and you're kind of trying to figure out, I'm not sure if I believe this whole thing, I want to tell you it's not the same 
as believing in the Easter bunny. Uh, believing in the resurrection of Jesus is historical fact. And, uh, and, and I just want to also mention that video. I, I've watched it over and over and over this week. It goes by so fast. Uh, you could watch that video several times and pick up lots of stuff. And if you want to search for it, just go to YouTube and search for the resurrection of Jesus. And you can find that and watch it again. Uh, it, it's just a great video that presents the fact that these witnesses must have seen something. All right, let's go to number number two. We talked about the choice of faith. Dean just shared that with us. And, and the uh, invitation that we have to choose faith instead of working for our salvation. And now in verses 14 through 17, Paul talks about another choice he wants us to make, and that's the choice of mission. The choice of mission, which is helping others be saved. Uh, it, it's one thing for us to be saved. It's another thing when we say, you know what, I'm going to be on mission and help other people be saved. I want to read a couple more verses from Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 14. It says this, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Now, what's happening here is Paul is just backing up the whole process of getting saved so that we can understand how important it is for us to be on mission. And you've got a little flow chart in your notes, and I'm going to put this up here on the screens for you to see here. This is, this is what Paul says. Is, is he, he backs it up and he's saying, nobody's going to get saved unless they first believe. In, in Jesus and believe in the resurrection. That's what he said earlier. And they can't believe unless they hear the good news. And they can't hear the good news unless somebody tells them. And nobody is going to go and tell people the good news of Jesus unless they are sent. It's critical that we understand this because uh, for some of us, we just have this logic that somehow God is going to miraculously arrange people's lives so that they get saved. But the reality is there has to be a whole process. If you think about your own life, somebody had to tell you. Somebody had to help you come to the point where you put your faith in Jesus. And it starts with people being sent. I remember so distinctly the first time I came to an awareness that Jesus was sending me to be on mission. I was a sophomore in college out in Seattle, and I was studying music, and I was very serious about becoming a professional musician, and, and really what I wanted for my life more than anything was to become a famous Christian rock star, and I had my Christian artist that I loved. I was sharing with you guys last night. I, I wanted to be the next Rust Half, and most of you won't even know who that is, but... Uh, I just wanted to, to make music my career, and, and that was my mission, was just to really to be famous. That's what I wanted more than anything. And, uh, and I remember so distinctly on a Sunday night, I had gone to church, and the church that I was at had a guest speaker, and, and this guy gave a really, really powerful message, but I don't remember what he talked on. I just remember that at the end of his message, he asked people to come to the front of that of that little church building and kneel and pray. 
And so I went to the front and I was praying for a while and, and I don't remember what I was praying. I just remember all of a sudden I heard God speak to me. And it was one of those things that was so dramatic and so real. Uh, it was like an out loud voice, but it wasn't an out loud voice, but it was that real to me happening in my mind and in my spirit that, that God was speaking to me. And he said, Russ, I want you to be a preacher. And uh, it, it was earth shattering for me. And, and I, I sat there praying and, and I, I kind of started to wrestle with the Lord, you know, God, I, I'm a musician. I'm not a preacher. I'm a musician and, and I'm a singer. And, and, and what are you talking about? And, but it was so real to me. I felt so strongly that God had spoken to me that that night when I got back to the dorms on, on my college campus, I gathered a couple of my friends together and I said, I have to tell you what I felt like God spoke to me tonight. And I, I said, it, it's just so uh, upsetting to me that I need you to pray with me about it. So they said, we'll pray with you. And, uh, and I just began to ponder that in my heart. And a year later, I went on the road and I traveled with a music group all over the country. And, and that was a great experience. But when I got back from that, that, that year of traveling, I, I re-enrolled in college and and I felt like I had to act on what God had spoken to me. So the first thing I did is I went to the preaching professor at the college that I was going to. And, and I said to him, I said, Dr. Brady, I think that maybe God is calling me to be a preacher. And he looked at me and he laughed at me uh, because he knew that my identity was all wrapped up in music. I, I'm a musician. This, this kid isn't a preacher. And, and so that was a little discouraging to me, but I felt like I had to act on what I felt like God was speaking to me. So I enrolled in Dr. Brady's preaching class, and I will never forget the first sermon I preached in that preaching class. And, and when you're in a, in a class with 20 other students, and you've got an hour, and you have to preach to one another, you get about seven minutes to preach a sermon, right? Some of you are thinking you wish that my sermons now were seven minutes. Um, <laughs> But I remember that very first sermon that I preached, and it was about seven minutes long, and, and I, I, was, I was reading off my paper, and I was really nervous, and I finished it, and I wrapped it up, and I looked up, and there was Dr. Brady sitting in the back, and he had tears streaming down his face. And I had that confirmation that, yes, indeed, God was calling me to preach the gospel. Now, here's the deal. Here's what I've learned in the years since then. When the Bible talks about preaching, and, and that verse that we just read from Romans 10, some of your versions will use the word preaching. How will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? It's not talking about somebody who makes their vocation as a pastor and stands on a stage and talks. Preaching in the Bible means explaining the gospel to people. It means just sitting down with somebody. Anytime you sit down and say, listen, here's why I believe Jesus rose from the dead and why I believe that Jesus is the way to salvation. When you do that one-on-one -on -one or in a small group or on a stage, when you do that, you are preaching the gospel. And what I want to throw out to you today is I believe that God is raising up many, many, many more people who will preach the gospel. The phrase we use around here is people who will be on mission. And, and I want to ask you to consider with me, is it possible that I am being sent by Jesus 
to be on mission and help other people be saved. You might not have an experience like I had where where God just rocks your world, or maybe you will. It might be today when you listen to me and when we pray in a few minutes, you might feel God saying to you, I want you to be on mission. I want you to change the course of your life to make the choice to help other people experience salvation the way I have. And if that happens to you, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're going to be so glad that you are on mission and, and that you have those gratifying experiences. I, I've told the story many, many times about uh, the, the different people. The first young man that got saved at Connect Church after we launched in River Rock in 2008, uh, I'll never forget when he raised his hand to receive Jesus. And it's happened dozens and dozens of times in the years since, uh, since we've started this church. It is so gratifying to know that people's lives are being changed because you are on mission. But we're going to wrap it up with this. Uh, at the end of this section that we're studying today in Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about the mission's big butt. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think the pastor just said the mission has a big butt. Paul gives us some news that's kind of, mm, kind of difficult uh, about the mission in these last verses. In verse 16, this is what Paul says. This is the big but of this section. He says, but not everyone welcomes the good news. And that's the hard part Uh, of being on mission because we can get really discouraged when somebody says no to the gospel when when we have shared with them Um, i can remember when i was in high school i had a youth pastor that would take us door to door knocking on strangers doors and sharing these little tracks they were the four spiritual laws do some of you remember doing that Mm -hmm. okay and and we went out and did that and i can remember doors literally being slammed in my face and, and I said to myself, I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to be an evangelist. I don't want any part of the mission because doors just get slammed in my face. And figuratively, I've had conversations with people where people will say, you know, you can believe what you want to, but I'm just not interested in that. This is the big but of being on mission. And Paul had those same experiences. He said, not everyone welcomes the good news. And then he says there's two questions, and he starts these questions with the, with the big but. In verse 18, he says, didn't they hear me? If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 18. He says, but I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Then he answers his own question. He says, yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. In other words, when, when somebody says no, it's not because you didn't explain it to them well. They have the freedom to say no, and sometimes they choose the but option, and, and they say no to the gospel. They don't welcome the good news. The second question in verse 19, if you've got your Bibles open, Paul asks this, didn't they understand me? I'll, I'll, I'll read from the, the actual verse. He said, but I asked, did the people of Israel really understand? And this is one of the questions we ask is, if they said no to the gospel, maybe they didn't really understand. And Paul had that same experience. And he answers it this way. He says, yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, 
I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. In other words, he was saying, I will get so fed up with you, Israel, someday, that I'm going to extend salvation to the Gentiles. Anybody who's not even Jewish, everybody's going to get a chance. Because some people don't welcome the good news. And so this is what I want you to remember. If if you're like me and you've had those experiences where you've had a door slammed in your face and you don't want to be on mission because it's too scary, here's what I want you to know. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. When people don't welcome the good news, when they say no, when they slam the door in your face, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. In verse 21, look at this if you've got your Bible open. In verse 21, God says, all day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. It's not your problem if somebody says no to the good news because it's not your job to get anybody saved. It's just your responsibility if you've been sent to share the good news with them. And then it's their responsibility to believe and to put their faith in Christ and get saved. But if God is calling you to be on mission, it's just your responsibility to tell them. So let's wrap this up this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment, but we do have some next steps. Dean's going to share four next steps with you. So what are our next steps? Excuse me. Make Jesus your Lord and start by saying it out loud. Jesus, my Savior. Jesus, my King. Jesus, my Master. If you need to examine the historical evidence for the resurrection to bolster your faith, there's two books out there you can get and you can write these down. I don't know if they're They're not not up up there. there, But um, one of them is Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. The other one is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Both of these guys were skeptics. And when they looked into all the evidence, they became Christ followers. So these are two great books that you can get into. And then pray that the Lord of the mission will send you. And I got to tell you, I'm not great at evangelism. I'm not. What I do is I live to love. I love people. I love... Christ gave us this command right before he went to the cross. Love one another as I've loved you. And that's what I do. I I love people and I build trust with them. And it gives me the open door to speak to them about Christ. The next step. Let God take the, and Russ has talked about this already, let God take the heat for any, any rejection you experience. Remember, we're God's ambassador. You represent Christ which means you have been sent. So they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. Good. Thank you, sir. Dean did a good job today, didn't he? All right, would you put your things aside this morning? Uh, The band's going to come. We're going to sing in just a moment. But I want us to pray. Um... And I've just kind of been pondering what we're going to do in this moment, and our time is short, uh, but I, I hope that you will just take a moment to just settle in 
and open your heart to the possibility that maybe God is going to speak to you this morning. Will you do that? And if you'll just, in, in this moment, if you feel comfortable doing this, would you just close your eyes and, uh, and try to clear your mind of those distracted thoughts of what's coming next and where you're going to go and where you're going to have lunch, all that stuff. Would you just open your mind to the truth of God's word that he's giving you a choice to trade your sin for his righteousness And if you've already done that, he's given you the choice to say yes to the mission. And right now in this quiet moment, I want us to invite God to speak to us. So let's pray. Father God, you have been so generous to us by saying, you know what? I realize that all of these people can never be good enough to earn their own salvation. So instead, I'm going to send my son and he's going to take the punishment so that these people can have his righteousness as a gift. Father, that is so generous. And today, Lord, if there are some of us here today who are struggling with believing. And some of us, even when Dean asks us to say out loud, Jesus is Lord, there are some of us, I imagine, who couldn't say it because we haven't been ready to even make that leap. But today, Lord, will you help us to look at the historical evidence and, and say, you know what? I recognize today they must have seen something And I'm going to choose to say yes to Jesus and I'm going to make him my Lord. And even in this moment, Jesus, will you make yourself so evident to us? Will you reveal yourself to us so that we can cross that barrier into the realm of faith? And then for others of us, Jesus, we've been resisting this notion of being on mission because we don't want to be rejected we don't feel like we have the words we don't feel like we can be persuasive enough and i've felt that way most of my life but god you sent me and i'm asking you today will you send hundreds more missionaries to reach our fellow montanans will you send us today And those of us that are struggling with the idea of being on mission, will you just speak to us so clearly, Lord, so that we can say yes to you? Thank you, God. Thank you, God.